It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder podcast apart. Of the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I'm your host, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. That's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. And on today's show, we welcome in our guest, Jackson Gatlin, host of Locked On Rockets and editor-in-chief of ClutchCityControlRoom.com, previewing the Rockets' first-round series with the Houston Rockets and a pair of old friends with James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and even Jeff Green, who we're going to get to in a little bit. But Jackson, what's going on, man? Pretty good, man. I'm excited to be here. I love doing these locked on crossovers. And thank you for that, for that glowing introduction. Now I feel, you know, the pressure is mounting for when I have to do your introduction as we will go record the locked on rockets version of this crossover later on. No pressure, but this will be a two part series. This episode will be focused on the rockets. Then if you want the thunder take, you can go over to locked on rockets. But my first question for this series, which I think is by far and away the best series in the entire first round, the lead story has to be Russell Westbrook. And we found out today that he's not going to play officially in game one. We kind of knew that was the case, but it was officially official today. How confident are you he plays at all in this series? And then when do you expect him back in this series? So I'm, I have pegged, and I've, and I've been sitting on this for a while, I've kind of waffled between is he going to miss two to three games? And I'm finally, I think I'm sitting on it. I think he's just going to miss the first two. And I think you can kind of look at it from this standpoint is the recent games that he's played. So he had kind of, uh, you know, a little bit of, there was a bit of concern with his, you know, with him coming back and kind of those, you know, soft tissue injuries and the way that they can sneak up on you. So they sat him out for a couple games and then they, the Rockets brought him back for just, you know, 27 and a half minutes against the San Antonio Spurs in a game that largely meant nothing. And, you know, just trying to get him up to speed, you know, get some run for him, you know, before the playoffs, you know, right around the corner. And, if you look at that timetable, as far as his actual quad injury is concerned, he really hasn't, you know, it's not like he's been active. It's not like he's played a whole bunch of games on it and re-aggravated that injury and everything coming out of the Rockets organization says that he didn't re-aggravate that in- injury. So I'm of the opinion that, you know, he had basically a week's rest leading into the San Antonio game, has that game the next day, wakes up, is a little sore in his right leg. So they do the MRI and basically, I, you know, I think that it's, a lot, not quite like blown out of proportion, but I'm not as concerned about it as some other people are. And I genuinely think he'll be back. This is a series that even without the emotional intensity of like the, you know, going back into Oklahoma city for a playoff series, you know, being in front of the fans, you know, the, 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 the city, the town that he basically grew up in, you know, all these, all these fans who have adored him for a, you know, the better part of a decade, he doesn't have all that emotional pressure behind it, but it's still such an emotionally charged series. The fact that it is his old team, you know, he's competing again or will be at some point competing against Chris Paul, you know, the team that, you know, willingly traded him and then the team in, in question in the Rockets who then traded CP3 for Russell Westbrook. There's so many different narratives in this one. I think he makes it back by game three, honestly. So game three has been about my timeline as well, uh, but, but that's a beautiful transition into this question about just what's the feeling around 
Houston of Chris Paul. What what do Rockets fans feel whenever they hear the name Chris Paul? And then how do they feel about him hanging into the series? One word, if I had to go one word, if I had to go one word about how Houston fans and, you know, feel about Chris Paul, it would be honestly either regret or pain, right? Because it gets brought up all the time talking about how close the Rockets were to a potential championship, you know, a hamstring away had Chris Paul not gotten injured. So there's, I don't think there's any ill will there. A lot of Rockets fans, you know, even media have fond memories of Chris Paul on this Houston Rockets team. But I don't think anybody in, in any scenario would have imagined that these two teams would have been matched up in the first round. And it seems like so many different things had to go right for both teams or potentially, you know, in some cases, certain things had to go wrong for, you know, for the Rockets. Cause I think at this point, the Rockets have probably played a little bit down to how they were expected to play coming into the season. And Oklahoma city has by and large overachieved compared to what was thought to happen at the beginning of the season. So for these two teams to be matched up, you know, I think that the feeling is Rockets fans still really appreciate the two years that Chris Paul gave this organization, but he's in front of you now he's in the way of the goal to win a championship and you've got to take him down. So sticking with Houston fans and your fan base and how they're feeling, what, what is the confidence level heading into the series? Are Houston fans just saying, you know, the Rockets are absolutely going to win and it would be a disaster to lose to this Thunder squad that had a 0.2% chance in the preseason to make the postseason? Uh, or are they saying, well, this is a risky series. This is going to be dangerous for the Rockets. What, what are you gauging this series at? Are, are you confident? Is this fan base confident in taking down Oklahoma City? Uh, the fan base is all over the place and that's that's just Houston Rockets fandom and especially Rockets Twitter in a nutshell is it's a it's an absolute roller coaster ride there's some people who think that you know the loss of Russell Westbrook means the Thunder are heavily favored to win the series as others who believe that even without Russell Westbrook it should be you know an easy four games to one it's it's kind of all over the place I'm of the opinion that Losing Russ is obviously a huge blow, even if he's just out for two, potentially three games, you know, half the series. Losing Russ is a huge blow because he's been really effective against the Thunder this season. That being said, I, I think this is going to be a hard-fought series. I think that any of all the first-round opponents, and I've been saying this for a couple months, even back when we were doing these, you know, these faux playoff previews back during the hiatus, wondering if we were even, if we were even going to get, you know, a playoffs this year to, you know, a, a – final ending to this NBA season with everything going on with COVID-19 and whatnot. I basically said the one team that I don't think the Rockets want in the first round is the Thunder. And there's so many different reasons for that. I think they are sneakily probably the best of the underdog first round teams, if that makes sense. If you view the Western Conference as the top two teams being the, you know, obviously the Lakers and Clippers, and then you basically throw seeds three through seven altogether from the Nuggets all the way down to the Mavericks. I think the, the Thunder are the one team out of that crop of teams that I didn't want the Rockets to have to face. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. Obviously, the Chris Paul narrative is there. If you lose to Chris Paul, how do people then judge this trade? They judge even more harshly because you gave up Chris Paul and a bunch of first-rounders to the Thunder, and now you just lost to them in the first round. That's painful. But just the matchup itself, the Thunder are a team that spread their scoring around so much that concerns me just they can get you from so many different angles so I I am concerned because I think this is going to be probably the most like you said I share the opinion I think it's going to be the most interesting first round series and I can very much see it I've called it Rockets in six but I can very much see this going seven games and I don't that's not a confident Rockets in six that's a this is going to be a very very hard fought series Rockets in six potentially seven 
So you touched on it a little bit, but but what was your first thought when it was officially official that it was Thunder Rockets? Because I think that in Houston and in Oklahoma City, there was two different schools of thoughts. In Oklahoma City, this was awesome. First of all, they weren't supposed to be in the playoffs at all. They certainly were not supposed to be a, a top five seed. And at one time, they could have been a top four seed if things went right those last two games there. Uh, but uh, And then you get to meet up with Russell Westbrook and James Harden, get to fuel that narrative. And so if you're going to have a playoff series, you might as well make it the most entertaining possible. Uh, but But in Houston, what was your thoughts whenever you got – the news and it was official that it was going to be OKC Houston. The first immediate thought was, of course, like, of course, like just, it was, it was this, it was this, of course, it's going to be Oklahoma city. Like, of course it couldn't have been the Utah jazz, a team that the Rockets largely would have had a huge advantage over, you know, a team that has now is now missing, you know, multiple players, you know, who, who, you know, players on the jazz, Mike Conley leaves for the birth of his son, um, then I, I believe Ed Davis goes down to a minor injury or, or something's going on there where Ed Davis is going to be unavailable. Uh, they already lost Bogdanovich for the remainder of the season. You know, a, a weakened Utah Jazz team who tanked gloriously to avoid the Houston Rockets in the playoffs. So my immediate reaction was, of course, it's going to be OKC. Of What other way could the chips have fallen to make this as rough for the Rockets as possible? Uh, both from just a basketball standpoint and how tough the series is going to be. And then from an emotional standpoint, having to eliminate Chris Paul in the first round of the playoffs, having that obstacle in front of you, if you want to continue through these, you know, these 2020 playoffs is having to eliminate the guy who's been a part of your organization for two years now. And, you know, I, I Thunder fans might be able to view this a little bit differently. And I've, I've made the crack before that, look, this is going to be great for Thunder fans if the Rockets, you know, move ahead. Because, look, Russell Westbrook's going to average a triple-double and the Thunder are going to lose. And that's, you know, just like fond memories, right? So, sorry, I got I to gotta take my shots while I'm here. But, um, no, seriously, I... I think it's going to be a very difficult series and I was, I'm looking forward to it as a basketball fan, as somebody who enjoys great basketball, but from my biased Rockets lens, this was the one matchup I did not want them to face in the first round. One thing you will want to face is our amazing sponsor, DoorDash. Between never-ending laundry cycles and incoming emails, you've got plenty on your to-do list. Give yourself one less thing to worry about and let DoorDash take care of your next meal. You want Chinese, they want pizza, and someone is craving Froyo? There's something for everyone on DoorDash. Continue supporting restaurants in your community safely. There are thousands of restaurants open for delivery on DoorDash that need your patronage. Now, more than ever, support your favorite restaurants at DoorDash. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. While your dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right now, right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. With over 3,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open DoorDash app and select your favorite local restaurants. Your food will be left right at your door, DoorDash. Deliveries are now contactless and keep communities we operate in safely. Right now, our listeners get $5 off and zero delivery fees for your first order of $15 or more when you download DoorDash app and enter code LOCKEDONNBA. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you use promo code LOCKEDONNBA after you download the DoorDash app in your app store. Don't forget, that's promo code LOCKEDONNBA for $5 off your first order with DoorDash on the app. 
The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So taking it into that trade a little bit, and I, and I don't really like these kind of segments, but you've got to do it. It's irresponsible almost not to talk about trades and who won and who lost. For the Thunder, we, I had Keith Smith on this podcast before the NBA restarted, and he, he snuck in there at the end of the podcast that, look, the Thunder are going to be able to not only get off of Chris Paul's contract, but get assets in return for Chris Paul. Now, of course, it won't be robbing the Clippers blind whenever you trade away uh, Paul George, but you're at least going to get something back for Chris Paul, where we once thought the Thunder would have to dig into that 15, you know, the, those 15 future first round picks to move off of Chris Paul. Instead, now they're going to get an asset back. So for, for Houston, does losing this series submit the fact that you lost that trade? I think it's really tough to go back and look at it from that angle because you have to evaluate the trade as I mean, obviously you can go back and evaluate trades and say, okay, well, this is how the trade panned out. Was it worth it or was it not? Yeah. But at the time the trade make made sense. And even let's, let's just go the absolute, we'll play devil's advocate here. Let's say the Rockets lose this first round series. I still think Daryl Morey does that trade 10 out of 10 times. And here's why is Chris Paul was coming off of a down season, did not look good, had two bad. Yes, the Rockets, you know, had a significant push that first year. They had a disappointing second round exit the second year with Chris Paul, but he didn't quite look like himself. He looked like father time might have been catching up, that the injuries maybe were a little bit too much. Wasn't quite the same Chris Paul from that first season. And so Daryl Morey, doing his due diligence, was trying to find a way to extend the championship window with James Harden. And what better way to do that than to pair him with longtime friend, longtime best friend, Russell Westbrook, and a guy who, whose prime lines up with the years, you know, not only contract-wise, but also just their ages, line up between Russell Westbrook and James Harden, two guys who have played together before, who have had success together before. It just the, the, the part that's painful is the king's ransom of draft picks and, and assets there that were given up to offload Chris Paul and bring in Russell Westbrook. So I don't think you can look back and say the trade was necessarily a failure. I think there's going to be some very harsh criticisms of the Rockets, deservedly so, if they lose this first round series. But I don't think that it, losing the series just immediately turns the trade into a failure. I think there's still... You know, there's still some shelf life on this Westbrook-Harden pairing. Do they have to do it all this year? No. Do they have a window of about two to three more years where they can still be competitive? Absolutely. So taking a bit of a detour here away from just this specific series in a way, uh, Mike D'Antoni. Now, uh, nationally, he's looked at as someone who could be on the hot seat, but realistically, in your opinion, as you sit locally in Houston and, and you cover this team every single day, is he on the hot seat for you? Is he truly someone who's on the hot seat on the way out of Houston if things go wrong this postseason? Or is that just kind of a national narrative that got spun and got kind of way out of hand by people who weren't really on the ground and focusing on Houston every day? No, I, I think, well, I think the national, mayor, the, the national media will take anything and run with it, especially if it can be a hot story that's going to generate clicks. But no, it, it, it hasn't really been spun out of proportion. Now, I will say that if you'd asked me this question on March, what, 10th? Before, but right before the hiatus, right before the season was suspended, I would say, yeah, Mike D'Antoni's a bit on the hot seat. He absolutely has to have some modicum of success this postseason to not, you know, to, to be back as the Houston Rockets head coach next year. 
All things considered, though, with COVID-19 and the, this, you know, all the strange you know, goings on of this season and you know, the, the bubble environment, just how everything's played out to this point, I don't, I don't necessarily see him being ousted quite just yet, even if the Rockets have a slightly subpar uh, postseason performance, you know, even if it were to be a loss to the Thunder in the first round, if only because it's not quite a fair shake to him. Now, you know, he's been, basically, he's been there. He's done that. He got so close with that 2017-2018 team that I think going into the season, I said multiple times, and I mentioned it throughout the season, is that for Mike D'Antoni to remain the Houston Rockets head coach, the minimum, the bar was set at a competitive Western Conference Finals. And that, so that doesn't mean get to the Western Conference Finals and get beat by the Lakers or Clippers or somebody else, you know, four games to one. That means a competitive Western Conference Finals. And that, even that might be a little bit too low of the bar because they've been there. They did that against the Warriors. And as unfair as that might sound to Mike D'Antoni, I think that's true. I, I think that makes sense because where else do you improve this team at? You're locked into James Harden. You're locked into Russell Westbrook. You're locked into Eric Gordon. You've got, you can make some moves at the margins and bring in some you know, minimum contract guys or you know, flyer guys you know, like Jeff Green, Damari Carroll, guys who can you know, buy out candidate type people you know, midway through a season to try and improve the team. But largely, you're locked into this exact roster. So where do you go for improvement if not the coaching staff? So I think that you know, if things don't pan out this offseason, he might have, you know, that the whole COVID thing might be his saving grace and he might get another chance, you know, on a one-year deal here in Houston to, to try again, basically. But before the hiatus, I was firmly saying that Mike D'Antoni had to have some significant postseason success if he wanted to see himself back as Houston's head coach next year. So shifting back into this series in a, in a vacuum here, Answer me this. Am I right in this reading of this series? When I look at this, I see, and we can relate this to Houston, Oklahoma again. I go, go back to you know, about five years ago, whenever it was, whenever Oklahoma and Houston played in college football, and Houston beat Oklahoma. And, and that game specifically, whenever that game gets put on OU's schedule, uh, no one thinks uh, that OU deserves a pat on the back if they go out there and beat Houston. Uh, but if Houston goes out there and beat Oklahoma, then it's a huge story the rest of the weekend. So there was really only one side of that that gets any benefit out of them playing. In this series, I think it's kind of the same way. For the Thunder, uh, they get a huge benefit if they win. They get huge storylines. They get you know everything thrown at their feet if they can win this series. If they lose this series, well, you know, you only had a 0.2% chance of making the postseason anyway, and you lost to a good Houston team who was a higher seed than you. Is that kind of fair to say that in Houston, even if they pull out this series, even though this is a more competitive team in Oklahoma City than people give it credit for, uh, that it won't really it won't really resonate with Houstonians? Is that what you guys call yourselves? It won't really resonate inside the fan base? No, well, one, absolutely. We are Houstonians. H-Town, hold it down. Um, no, but... I think this, this is a team that you're supposed to be. If you're sitting here as a Rockets fan, you know, you're looking at this team, you're supposed to beat the Thunder. Uh, you know, I already touched on it a little bit. The Thunder have greatly overachieved this season. The Rockets, to, a, to an extent, have underachieved this season. You're supposed to beat them. Even sans Russell Westbrook, you're supposed to beat this team. Not, on, not, if on, not just because of what's, what all's going on behind the scenes, you know, with, with the storylines and, you know, what could potentially happen, how the national media is going to run with it if the Rockets lose, not just because of that, but because you have 
the far and away best player in the series in James Harden. And you can make an argument that you also have the second best player in the series in Russell Westbrook over Chris Paul. Now that's an argument that I'm willing to have, you know, between, you know, who's the better player, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, at least, you know, as of right now, how it stands, but you are the, on paper, with Russell Westbrook, you're the more talented team. Without Russell Westbrook, you lose a chunk of that talent. OKC, yes, has, might have a slight edge now with Russell Westbrook out for the first few games. But I completely agree. If Houston wins this game, it's not going to be some monumental, yeah, you beat Now, I think that Houston fans will take some uh, enjoyment out of beating Chris Paul, even though it might be a little bittersweet for certain people, you know, having to eliminate Chris Paul. But that being said, it's it puts you in a gauntlet where if you beat, you know, you're beating the Chris Paul-led Thunder, which any Chris Paul-led led team is no slouch. You know, this Thunder team, they're serious. You know, that that's why I didn't want the Rockets to have to go up against them in the first round. They are not just an easy out. They're not, a, oh, they over, you know, they, they overachieved and now they're an easy 4-1 out. No, they can seriously upset somebody and now they've got Houston right in front of them to potentially upset and then move on to the next round. It's, it's a legit possibility. So I completely agree with you. I don't think, you know, the goal for Houston is not, you know, oh, you beat the Thunder. Here's a, you know, here's a parade. Good job. You No, you're supposed to do it if you're the Rocket. Another thing you're supposed to do is go ahead and order Built Bar. I promise you, you will not regret it. Built Bar is a fantastic protein bar that, that tastes just like a candy bar. And now it's new and improved and even more delicious. What? 18 amazing flavors that are brand new, including nut and non-nut flavors. There are six new flavors in total with caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. Listen, Built Bars were already my favorite protein bar. They're fantastic. You can even use them as I do as a quick go-to for breakfast. That way you can skip everything else in your day. You can use them pre-workout, post-workout. It's very easy. They truly do taste just like a candy bar. It's everything you need in protein with a satisfying taste that does not leave a chalky aftertaste or any other disgusting feelings in your mouth. I loved Built Bar the first time they bought ads on the network, and I cannot wait to try this new and improved version of Built Bar. I've bought many boxes since they sent us our free box. We're going to get another free box, by the way, coming up with these new flavors. So I'll let you know my go-to of these new flavors. But as you know, my original go-to was the banana nut bread. So these flavors have to be just astounding to get me to turn my back on the banana nut bread. But Trust me, Built Bars has everything you want in a protein bar. It tastes just like a candy bar. They're great for being healthy, health conscious, losing and maintaining weight, and even a delicious treat. They have low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, great and compatible with the keto diet with 19 grams of protein. Listen, it's fantastic. You're going to want to go purchase yourself a box of Built Bars. And if you order right now, you get a free cooler with every purchase. So you're going to want to get involved in that at BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off that next order. Once again, that's promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off that next Built Bar order at BuiltBar.com. Trust me, guys. They are fantastic. You're going to want to get your hands on these Built Bars. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 
Yeah, and on the other side of that, if Oklahoma City wins, then it's an even bigger celebration of this season than it already has become. Uh, but for the Rockets, and in your opinion, what's the biggest advantage they have over the Thunder? Honestly, it's, it's t- it might be a cop-out, but it's James Harden. And, you know, I, I could say I could, there, there's probably a few other things that I could have gone to be, uh, you know, a little bit less, I don't know what cliche, but James Harden is, you know, the Rockets live and die by James Harden. And he has largely performed amazingly since going into the bubble. This, um, this open gym type environment seems to be doing wonders for him. He's so locked in and engaged now, there, there's going to be some other guys on the team that are, you know, X factors and, and you know, other, other things that kind of bode well for them. One of which being, you know, the, I guess just looking at things from like a numbers perspective is the fact that the, Thunders aren't, the Thunder aren't necessarily a great rebounding team. And the Rockets, that's, that's easily their Achilles heel since going to small ball is they are the worst rebounding team in the entire association. So it, not getting absolutely, they're still going to get out-rebounded by a wide margin, but not getting destroyed on the rebounds and not getting, not giving up, you know, an obscene amount of second chance points allows them, you know, a bit more breathing room, a bit more, you know, a bit more of a margin for error. But back to the direct answer, I think it's James Harden. I think that is, you know, he's the guy that if the Thunder don't find a way to slow him down, which let's face it, it is really hard to find a way to slow down James Harden. In fact, earlier, you know, today, as we're recording this Sunday evening, there was a clip that was circulating from Chris Paul's media availability where somebody asked him, how do you slow down James Harden? And he didn't have an answer. He, he waffled for about 45 seconds, did not have an answer on how do you stop or how do you slow down James Harden? You know, playing next to him for two years, Chris Paul knows better than anybody, you cannot slow down James Harden. The only one who can beat James Harden is James Harden himself, either by you know, falling in love with the three-point shot a little bit too much, not being as aggressive, taking it to the rim, things like that. So the, the series is squarely on James's shoulders, in my opinion. I think that that's a fair take. I think that, for me, it is going to come down to James Harden. And sadly for the Thunder, there's not much you can do. Like you said, it's up to him beating himself and then you trying to keep up the pace with James Harden, but is there an under underrated storyline heading into the postseason that people aren't talking about enough outside of Houston? Because uh, for example, for the Thunder, Darius Baisley, I don't think is getting enough attention nationally about what he can be in this series, how, how he can play that position, how he can play that center position and go coast to coast and, and keep the Thunder's pace moving. The Thunder have not been the best uh, fast paced team, unlike the Rockets. And to tire out the Rockets, you don't need to dump it inside all the time. You need to run with them a little bit. And Darius Baisley can, can provide that, that five spot, which Billy Donovan's been telling the, telling the team and, and the media they're going to do a lot this season and, and, and going to do a lot next season and throughout his career. So I think that's a bit of an underrated storyline. Is there one of those for Houston where there's this storyline that you know can be a huge factor in this series, but you don't hear a lot of people talking about it? You know, it's, it's really – there's not a specific storyline from the Rockets that stands out other than, you know – because there's not really a, a player that has been kind of flying under the radar for the Rockets like that, maybe. And here's the one, you know, and this is, this is one that for Rockets fans, it's not going to be under the radar, but maybe, like you said, you know, national media is not pay, picking it up enough or paying enough attention to it, is the one-two punch of James Harden and Jeff Green. And it basically, bringing Jeff Green in, he, wherever he's gone before, it, throughout his entire career, he's always been Jeff Green, the wing player. Now he's getting to be Jeff Green, the, the niche backup small ball five, and his skill set 
for what he's able to do on the court complements James Harden so beautifully in that pick and roll to where the two have developed this really insane chemistry. You know, there's been some highlights out there of, of James Harden's, you know, uh, Quote, to quote Bill Simmons, the cheap assists by James Harden, you know, these, these beautiful, you know, pocket passes behind the back passes on the dime to, Jan, to, uh, to Jeff Green, I apologize, um, as he's rolling to the rim. And Jeff is able to either put the ball on the floor and create for himself, get, you know, get an easy shot at the rim, which he's shooting, I believe, over 80% at the basket, you know, which is just insane for any player, especially for a guy, you know, for a guy like Jeff Green, who's not, you know, some you know, seven foot, you know, center who's just getting it all off dunks and putbacks. He's actually creating shots for himself and creating shots for his teammates off the bounce from Harden. And so that one-two punch has been phenomenal and look to see a lot of that in this series is Jeff Green is going to play substantial minutes. I'm, I'm imagining anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes a night and potentially might even be in some closing lineups, depending on how things look on the defensive side of the ball, you know, with, you know, Schroeder, uh, Chris Paul, SGA, you know, just, how thing how the rockets rockets are trying to match up over there offensively though i kind of expect him to potentially close out some games because he's just been lethal with james harden on that end and i think that's where a lot of the concerns for rockets fans are right now is not so much defensively but where do you where do you replace the production of russell westbrook offensively there's going to need to be guys who step up and fill that void to to come up with, you know, 30 points and seven or eight assists a night, you've got to somehow reproduce that production. And it's going to take a group effort to do that. Not one guy on the team can, can come up with those numbers by himself. I think that's a great underrated storyline. Cause in fact, I had that at the end of the show, I was going to have you opine about Jeff green. Cause he was one of my favorite players. Whenever he was in Oklahoma city, I had his Jersey. So I just wanted to hear you talk about Jeff green. You satisfied that without even uh, having me ask the question. So I really appreciate you going on about Jeff green like that. Absolutely. I'm Hey man, I am a, I am all about the Jeff green life. And here's my thing is I said it back in like February talking about how Jeff green could potentially play, you know, a rim running type big role, you know, a la Clint Capella, but just obviously not playing as, you know, vertical as Clint did. And I was, you know, a lot of people didn't take me seriously on Twitter. When I said that, I was like, look, the coaching staff is just electing not to use him this way. We might see it in the future. And then suddenly all this news started coming out of the Rockets training camp in the bubble, how they're using Jeff Green, how, he, how Mike D'Antoni views him as a source of vertical spacing. And I just, I got this, you know, this rush of like vindication where I was like, I told you guys, they just weren't using him like that during the little 10 game stint before the bubble. So I'm all about the Jeff Green life. So I think right now in the program, Thunder fans might be getting a little bit worried about this series. So let's try to take you down a notch. What's your biggest weakness for the Rockets heading into this series? Is it simply the size or something other than that? The size is definitely one where, you know, I, I'm interested to see because we've seen, so from a Rockets angle, we've seen some coaches who try to, who, who refuse to bend and they'll keep their bigs on the floor the entire time. We saw the Milwaukee Bucks do that running Brooke Lopez, Robin Lopez, the entire 48 against the Rockets, you know, never going small. Then we've seen some other teams who have attempted to go small ball and who have tried to downsize to, to match the Rockets. So to me, I wonder where Steven Adams factors into this. You know, you know, you mentioned Baisley, you know, does, does Billy Donovan opt to, you know, reduce Steven Adams minutes? Is he going to be a detriment in this series? Is his rebounding going to be, you know, beneficial? Is he going to be able to crash the offensive boards more than he has throughout this season? That remains interesting to me and how that dynamic works out. You know, the chess match between Mike D'Antoni and Billy Donovan, but the Rockets weakness largely throughout the season has been their transition defense. And I'm not 
I'm not super concerned about that because the Thunder aren't really a team that get out in transition, you know, and that's, that's just a, a, the fault of any Chris Paul led team is Chris Paul led teams are going to be significantly slower paced than, you know, other teams in the league. We saw that for two years here in Houston is Houston was one of the fastest paced teams in 2016, 2017. Chris Paul shows up, they slow down to a crawl partially because they thought that was the best way to beat the golden state warriors was to slow the game down, make it a slugfest in the half court. And now back with Russell Westbrook, you know, on the, on the team in place of Chris Paul, the Rockets pace has picked up considerably because James Harden is able to play with pace or able to play in the half court. He can thrive either way. Russell Westbrook excels in transition. And so what better way, if you've got a star who can do both, and if you've got a star who excels at one versus the other, you're going to try and play the transition game significantly more than making Russ work in the half court. So if that's, that's probably been their biggest weakness the entire season is the transition defense. And some of that comes from the style of basketball they play. They get so many three-point shots up. And then, you know, if you're missing a, a fair bit of them, if, if your shooting percentage is, uh, you know, less ideal than it should be, then you're going to be giving the opposing team these chances to get out and transition with these long rebounds, you know, and, if, and the Rockets are just notoriously bad at getting back, you know, whether it's an effort issue or just an awareness issue defensively, you know, maybe some combination thereof. But that has been their biggest glaring weakness the entire season, even after the transition from traditional basketball to small ball. And then the rebounding component, you know, that I already touched base on a little bit. That's the other one. So I've been a little bit jealous on Twitter, on NBA Twitter, seeing uh, these other uh, series getting these deep dive into film breakdowns and things like that about what happened in the regular season. And for this series, you can't do that. The, the Rockets were a totally <laughs> <Nope>. different team <laughs> whenever they played. So that worries me a little bit because I'm not sure how this is going to go. Now, it could work out beautifully for the Thunder, but let's face it, when's that ever happened? So I I'm worried about what this stylistically will look like whenever these two teams meet up for the first time literally for the first time this season, because again, they were a totally different team the last time that they played. So what's the biggest misconception of the small ball lineup? And then are you concerned at all if it is sustainable for a seven game series playing this small? I, th I don't think the, the worries about sustainability of small ball are warranted if only because especially in a seven game series, you don't have to worry about, you know, back to backs, you know, the thunder are a team that, largely, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of the offense r runs through, you know, Chris Paul, SGA, and Dennis Schroeder, right? Correct. Okay. So they're not a team that's going to necessarily be, you know, trying to pound the ball inside, you know, using Steven Adams, you know, as a, as a post threat, you know, every possession down the court. And they're not a team, you know, I, we saw that a little bit in the Bucks matchup with the Rockets is they were content to allow Brooke Lopez to try and dominate inside the paint. You know, they kept dumping the ball down to him. He had a, like a 20 and 10 or a 20 and 15 night against the Rockets, but they're okay with that. They're okay with getting beat inside. They're okay with giving up a, you know, a ton of paint points because the Rockets want to out Matthew as a team. They want to shoot 50 to 63 pointers a game and they want to beat you by math because you know, to quote, you know, favorite rocket saying three is greater than two. You can score all the paint points you want. You can dominate the rebounds. You can, you know, have as many layups and dunks as you want. As long as we out Matthew on, on the offensive side of the court, then things will be fine. And so I, I don't think there's, as far as like a misconception about small ball, it's 
not as small as it seems, if only because you've got P.J. Tucker and James Harden, who are two of the most elite post defenders in the league. So when those guys are the guys guarding the majority of you know, attempted post-ups by other teams, there's this idea that other teams get where they're like, oh, James Harden's only 6'5". P.J. Tucker's only 6'5". That's an advantage for our team. It's actually not. James Harden and P.J. Tucker are phenomenal at using their size, using their leverage, and defending the post. And it, you know, it comes down to not just the, the fact that those are two very strong men for being, you know, 6'5", being a bit smaller than the guys that they're guarding in the post, you know, legit 6'11", 7-footers, but it also comes down to just technique, the fact that if you watch when James Harden is defending post-ups, a lot of times he'll, he'll be able to slip right around the big and, you know, strip the ball or, you know, tie, you know time, the, time his steps beautifully and either pull the chair under, out from under him or just all these different things that go on defensively for this team. So I think there's the misconception that teams that have bigs are able to take advantage of the Rockets, and they're really not. They do lose the battle on the boards, but from an offensive standpoint, you know, dumping the ball down low and trying to let a big, you know, utilize any semblance of post game against this Rockets team usually doesn't work out for the team involved. So what is your ceiling for this Houston Rockets team? I mean, how far can this team go? Look, and I, you know, I, I regret not having this number in front of me because I wanted it so badly. But when the Rockets shoot greater than 37% from downtown, they are, I want to say it's like 22 and one or 20 and one or something like that. They've only lost one time this season when they shoot greater than 37% from downtown. That's the key number. They're like 22 and 26 when they shoot below 37%. So the ceiling is championship. If you can, if this team can get hot and have some consistent, and it's not like get hot and shoot greater than 40%, 37% is a very reasonable number to hit. It's just, and this has been the Rockets, you know, problem for years now is they are a team that prides themselves on shooting more three-pointers than any other team in the league. And yet they seem to always have streaky shooters. What I would do to have a, a legitimate, bona fide, like 40 to 45% three-point shooter, a guy who is unconscious and never misses on this team, and they, they almost sort of have that in Ben McLemore. Ben McLemore has made a beautiful transition from his time with the Sacramento Kings into turning into the, you know, the beautiful Mori Ball player, you know, the, the perfect uh, you know, personification of Mori Ball in the sense that, you know, 83 or 84% of his shots all come from behind the arc. And, you know, he only took his first mid-range shot of the season uh, earlier in the bubble. And it was just one, and it was because it was like the tail end of the second quarter as the, the shot clock or as the, uh, the, the quarter was getting ready to end, and he just had to get the shot up, and he did, and he hit it. So uh, other than that, he has become the personification of Mori Ball, and he's shooting, you know, I, last I checked, near you know near forty percent, right around that number. But if this Rockets team can can get not again not crazy hot, not scorching hot, not above forty percent, but if they can get to that thirty seven percent number, they are a handful to deal with because of the sheer volume of threes that they will bury you with. So Jackson, give me your official prediction on the series on Locked On Thunder. What are you predicting to happen in this in the most interesting first round series the NBA will see this year? I'm staying firm at Rockets in six, but I will throw it out there. I just feel it coming. It just, it's in my bones. I feel like Chris Paul is going to hit a game winner at some point in the series. I feel like Chris Paul, it's going to, you know, there's going to be a game that's, you know, kind of a, a total slugfest down to the wire. And Chris Paul is going to have the final, the final say in that game, the final shot. 
and and ice it because that's just that's just who he is. He is and he has been one of the most clutch players in the, in the league this season. He is phenomenal in pressure pressure situations throughout his entire career. So I think that's going to happen. I think it's Rockets and six, but I think there's going to be a heart-wrenching Chris Paul buzzer beater at some point in this series. Hopefully it'll be Thunder and seven, and he'll hit that game-winning shot on the game seven and wave <laughs> off the floor, Russell Westbrook and company. But Jackson, this was awesome. I can't wait for the series to get started tomorrow, but let them know where they can find all of your work related to the Houston Rockets so they can keep up with the Rockets side of the series. Absolutely. Well, uh, as Ryland so kindly mentioned at the top, I am the founder slash managing editor of clutchcitycontrolroom.com. So you can check us out for all sorts of Rockets content there. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at JT Gatlin. And of course, you can follow uh, Locked on Rockets at Locked on Rockets on Twitter. So that's where all, you'll get all your Rockets angled things. There will be plenty of Rockets bias involved, but I will also try, I try my best to skew a bit towards the middle and not, you know, I, I take my red tinted shades off occasionally. So free, feel free to check me out at any of those places. And you can go over to Lockdown Rockets right now to get the Thunder side of this first round preview, giving you all the content you can handle on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Be good and be good to one another. We'll see you tomorrow with another preview of this series with all of your favorite Thunder media members. They're going to be joining me to talk all about this interesting first round series. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.